This is the Unearthing Art Podcast with Michelle Luminato and Beck Lee, where we dig into the messy reality of making art that matters, raw and real conversations about being an artist, navigating the creative process, and expressing our honest and sometimes weird selves. Michelle, I learn about creative assets from you. And I'm really interested to talk about it now in more detail because sometimes I think I've kind of taken that idea and stretched it a little bit. And because when we've talked about it, you know, it's like you gave me the sweatpants and then I pulled them on and stretched out the butt a bit and, you know, adjusted (laughs) that. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Yeah. Creative assets. I just, I like that term for a few reasons. One is because there's already stuff within us that we've usually explored or we've been interested in. We might have explored it as a profession. We might have explored it as a hobby. We might just be a collector of things. Like we're just human beings that we just take in stuff, right? I look at it as a bank, mm-hmm. as a bank of information. Some of that is a visual thing. Some of it is writing. Some of it is music. I look at creative assets not as a one-sided one thing this is how it works but more as a library of resources that are unique it's almost like your dna for how you take in creative things Mm -hmm. to me Mm -hmm. so it's a big box that i think what's really cool about it it's it's so unique to who we are as individuals because only one person can see the way we do like i see the way i see which is different than the way that you see. So even if we look at the same images, I'm going to respond to something differently than you respond to something. And so it's it's a way to me to always fill up our creative assets and pull from them because that's just what we do anyway. So when I introduced the idea of creative assets to you through the course that I teach, um, it was in the context of a course. And so there was a bit of a logical sequence to how I was presenting that, or at least I like to think there's a logical sequence, but I think that really creative assets are taking notice and being aware of what we already love and do, and to use those to our advantage, to use those as strengths, as opposed to discarding them like they're nothing. Yeah, yeah. Any time's a great time to assess your creative assets, but particularly, I think, it can be really powerful when we're feeling confused or a bit lost or unsure. Yeah. Um, I think commonly artists might say to you, oh, I'm not sure what I want to paint or how I want to paint. They yeah. feel like they just don't know, you know, because if you've lost motivation, if you're feeling unsure in the studio, usually the next step would be to say, well, what do you want to make? What excites you to make? How do you want to feel while you're painting? And if you have any of those sort of questions and you feel blank when someone asks you, I mean, it's like being the, I don't know, the 10 year old at school says, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you feel blank. You're like, I don't know. What do you want to be? I'll just be what you're going to be. And here's the thing. I think that a lot of that has to do with, um, we get caught up in identities of like possibly being a mother or a caretaker or a professional and we kind of lose touch with what we really like because Mm. we're we're so responsive to that situation so like for a career you're going to be focusing on what does a client want what does a client want what does a client want you kind of forget 
what you want. And I think as mothers, like I've experienced lots of conversations with mothers who've gone through the period of when they become a mother, they might have given up their profession, they focus on the baby, everything's catering to these kids, which of course we adore and love, but in that space of time, we kind of lose ourselves through that process. We forget how we like to cook our eggs, we forget really simple things like what matters, we put everything else before our own needs. And so I think we lose touch with our creative assets and we don't even recognize them. And so a lot of people come to me and say, I don't even, I don't have any. And I'm like, yeah, you do. We just need to like unpack them. So I think it's, it's an unpacking process. That's it. And that's what I love about it is the underlying idea is that you might feel creatively empty. Yeah. Um, you might say, I, I don't know what I like, which I think is so common yes. to get to a certain point, whether it's family or relationships you've chosen, that you become a bit lost in there. You morph yeah. to your environment, the people you're around. Um, if you're someone who's a people pleaser, you're going to go with the flow. And it becomes a habit. And if you do it enough times, you forget. You lose touch with the idea of what what is the feeling of being really excited about something just for you uh, instead of doing something convenient because it's what you know everyone else yep. wants to do because it's not going to cause any waves but it's not going to make anyone look at you differently it's not going to raise any questions with family members that kind of thing I mean I could go on yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly exactly but what I love about creative assets is that when you have a particular challenge or a puzzle something that's not working the way mm-hmm. you'd like in your life you can actually mm-hmm. look around at things that are working and take cues from that, you know. So in that way, you're never kind of starting from zero is the point, I think. You're never at zero. And I, I'm always surprised at how a lot of people think they are at zero. Mm-hmm. But truly, it's about looking at what you already love, how you already do things. But it's it's got to be tapped into a personal experience, not a group family decision you know Mm -hmm. I think that the hard part and one of the things that happens through this process is sometimes there's a little bit of an identity shift that happens with this creative um, asset review so to speak where what you've always been known to be may start shifting and that causes a little discomfort and sometimes might call stress (laughs) but it's one of those things that is so freeing we're so close to it you know we're so personally close to how we've always been presented in the world for instance like if you've been a mother who's been really into taking care of the kids and you don't allow yourself to be an artist so guess what the family doesn't see you as an artist they don't have that space for you so even carving out time to be an artist or even spend time doing things that artists do even if you can't call yourself an artist I think is one of the first parts that is really hard as a shift Mm. and then looking at well what do I actually really love what what am I inspired by how have I worked and you're a writer Mm -hmm. you know and for me I instantly was like have you used your writing like does that come up for you yeah and I was like no I started painting to stop writing 
<laughs> and I, I literally looked at Beck thinking, wow, it's such an amazing asset. I can't imagine not using that asset if that was my asset. But, yes. you know, I think we all have to come to terms with how that manifests. So with you looking at writing again, like it wasn't mm. an obvious thing that you were like, I think I'll look at writing. Like you were really like, no, no, I'm good. Yeah, no, I said no. <laughs> I was focused on, you know, pretty pictures of pretty landscapes. Um, and that really uncovered a number of things, I think. Paul, you were just talking about, say, someone who's been mum, that's what the family recognised her, and now she wants to explore. And the family might say, but you've never been creative. She might be telling herself that, I've never been creative. And I think what we're saying is that if you explore really your creative assets, if she looks back into her history, she can actually find lots of times that she's Mm -hmm. being creative. Taking pictures of the family. There's so many ways that creative people express themselves. So in one way, you could look at those on a, a beginning level of how do I arrange those pictures? What kind of shapes do I use? Do I like black and white photos? Do I like color photos? What are the subjects? Is it when the kids are in action or is it in quieter time? So you sort of on one level noticing your visual preferences perfect way to say it it's it's about noticing your visual preferences and and even more beyond the visual preferences but it's really being self-aware of what you naturally drawn to we we are all drawn to these kind of balances of compositions that are particular to the way we see things and but simple things like that that kind of show up in ways could be the way that you're interested in color that you bring color into your home exactly like how you arrange things in your personal spaces like the spaces that are just for you whether you have a lot of decoration and a lot of a very richly layered thing happening or whether you like empty space with just one thing on display but then what I find fascinating is as you go deeper and another layer and then your creative assets can start surfacing for you what you enjoy and get out of the creative process like that was Mm -hmm. a real ping moment for me so when you said what about writing the first obvious thing I thought about was including writing physically in the artwork which I immediately dismissed because I said I wasn't interested in that, which is hilarious because, you know, we know how that went. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Just rest assured, there's some beautiful words coming through in Beck's art. But what was really useful was to think about after that initial (laughs) dismissal was to realize some time had passed between when I was having more of a creative block around my writing and so redirected to take up painting and I'd had an intervening decompression time when I was just focused on painting so I'd I had the chance to step away for a little while and now you're encouraging me to look at it again it might be a thing <laughs> yeah I deeply loved and had a really big relationship with writing for a really long time maybe there's something there and what I think initially I started to mine that creative asset for was more about the process because I realized that I had this asset of having had a creative practice Mm -hmm. for over two decades of writing, which is how did I gather materials for my writing? How did I process? How did I 
put things together. I spent many years working out what worked for me. But not to tap into that is just dismissing so much great work. And and one thing I want to point out too in what you're saying is I had to have a break as well because I was never going to be creative again like seven or eight years. I'm losing track. I laugh as I tell the story because I can't even believe I said that. But I had such bad creative burnout from producing so many products and and sellable art I just literally thought like I'm never gonna be creative again I carried a blank piece of paper around couldn't put anything you know down on it for two years I just had I was spent nothing in the tank and I had to too have a real big break from it so that I could see again like hang on a minute maybe there's something here where if you would have asked me that two years earlier like wouldn't have I couldn't have even looked at it so I think that that could be also an interesting thing to look at is just the timing of when things kind of bubble up as well yeah it's the timing and I think it's so interesting as well because when we talked about when you were teaching creative assets the wonderful thing is your ideas around creative assets and how you teach it I think is in itself one of your creative assets because you come from this background (laughs) of brand and product development you'd worked with big companies like nike and then you'd had your own stationary business where you were creating these products that you were selling taking to stationary fairs and a real um product driven business yes and that was the kind of stuff that you got burnt out on but then what you teach in your processes are very much have come from the compost let's say so you have the burnout you have all this rich experience from previous careers about how you develop you know color stories and products and how you gather inspiration a really creative process but not one which necessarily I mean it wasn't when you come to say well now I'm going to be a painter a person could think that's got nothing to do with painting but in fact you had this rich compost which of course I ignored in the beginning in the beginning I was like this has nothing to do with anything I'm going to leave all that behind I'm going to just paint Um, but the thing about us as humans the beautiful thing Mm. is like wherever you go there you are and yes. it does show up and it did show up for me, but I was completely like, nope, not not doing that anymore. I'm done. I Just am like done. my writing. I'm done. Just done, done, done. I'm having a so, fresh start, but yeah, <laughs> there yeah. actually but isn't a fresh start. There's no fresh start. There's just I think there's pauses and there's breaks, you mm. know, and there is the there is a part that we have to recognize that when we have these dips in the creative process, not only in a, in a seasonal thing of like four weeks, but there's probably dips in years where you might go through creative bursts and then maybe you didn't refill the bucket and then you left, you're, em- you're empty-handed. So the reason why I'm so passionate about helping pass along what I do in my process is because I never feel empty in my bucket anymore. I mm. I ended up having that point where I was so empty for so long creatively that I was like, you know, creatively, I'm done. I'm not doing creative anymore. Never going to design. Definitely painting wasn't even on the radar. But to be able to come to a place where I can always find inspiration and always fill the bucket, that that was absolutely critical to me doing it again because I knew what it felt like not to have that. 
And so I think that's when it really started. Of course, I ignored it, but then I realized, oh, I'm going to need something to keep going. And so I did get that compost out and I started noodling with it and working with it. And that's, you know, that's really serves me to this day every day. So do you think having that idea about creative assets, once you have that concept now, you keep investing in your assets? You keep making sure that bank is you know, refilled? Refilling the bank. I refill the bank before the bank is empty. So some people might feel that maybe it's moving too fast for them. For me, when something's almost to a finish in a series or whatever I'm working on, I'm already looking at what would I be doing next? I might be doing it while I'm sitting at TV, you know, and just playing with concepts. So it wouldn't be something that I'm like, oh, I need to think of new concepts. It's not a heavy lift refill. It's more of like just absorbing, collecting a top up. It's like collecting new inspiration, seeing in a new way. It's just a bit of a, yeah, just a top up. That's a great way to describe it. And do you feel like you are still drawing on the creative assets from your past or did you shift, did the assets shift? Yeah, that's a good question. I feel like what happens, and I've seen this with some artists that I've worked with, and I'll be curious to talk to more people as they go through this experience, but I feel that you get narrower because you start you, you start getting a little bit deeper into what you're into, mm. and then when you go deeper, it widens again. Mm-hmm. And, and so you take in this big breath, but it's actually more specific. Not sure mm. if I'm explaining that. It's not a vague way that it might have been in the beginning. It's it's getting really into specific things. So for instance, like in the beginning, I was just looking at geometrics. I love geometrics. What do I love about geometrics? And it was it was a general idea of geometrics. But now I'm more into into what's happening with the colors and the forms and so it's getting more specific, but the inspiration is still just as big. But it's more down a path does that Mm. make sense so let me see if i can um let me see if i understand when you first start exploring this idea of creative assets you might come from a place where you're not sure you say i don't really know what i like or i sort of know what i like but i'm not sure why it's not satisfying something's missing so how do i know how do i begin to discover what's missing well you can dive into this idea of creative assets you can look back um, through your personal history you can look around you right now and say what do i like what am i naturally being drawn towards and it can be as simple as when I walk into one of those really big magazine stores where do I end up Mm. in the architecture section and I am in the gardening section but like if you find yourself in the garden section then you're going to look more in the garden you know and that's where it gets a little bit deeper because then it's like well now we know it's the garden but what about the garden and that's where the curiosity starts Um, opening up and then once you have something that you have the curiosity and interest in so you can cut you cast the net wide at the beginning but as you start to hone in a little bit wow there's no limit to how much you can explore a particular area that you're that you're truly curious and interested in exactly that's what i was going to say is it's it's about what you actually care about Mm -hmm. so the reason why there's endless abundance of it is because you're really interested 
Mm. You know, like I gotta say, I'm not that interested in math. The curiosity stopped at like <laughs> probably zero plus one. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? But for some people, they're super curious in that area. And so that's an area of focus. So I think the point is to look into what you're really curious about and what you. Um, find joy in like what makes you get a bit of a squeal what do I want to do in the studio that will make me kind of just go ooh, that's really cool have a thrill have a thrill of because I think yeah the thrill it's back to the where we started with the whole jump out of a plane without a parachute but yeah I think the point is there's a lot of things as as you get developed as a painter that you can technically do right yeah the skills start becoming more apparent you know you can look like you know what you're doing but what's the thrill no one no one can teach you the thrill but you in terms of really tapping into assets that mean something to you it's very connected to something we've talked about before where on one level you can look at assets as being indicators of the kind of let's say product you're aiming for and then also on a, a different level your creative assets can be a cue around the kind of feelings you want to experience while you're in the creative process itself. Reflecting on my writing was really useful because I was able to look back in time to say before I got burnout, when I was really thrilled by what I was doing, what were the elements of those, of that process that I have you know, inside me? In my muscle memory, because I'd spent so long developing a writing process, had a lot of awareness around it, and I was probably quite sophisticated in my awareness, so I knew that, for me, I really liked to do my writing and to do my work with clients specifically in stages where I would have an initial overall view of all the information, and then I'd take a break for a couple of days and let that creatively compost. And then I'd come back and make some initial notes and then I'd take a break and then I'd come back and start putting them together and also the the most thrilling moment for me in the process was I'd create these different bits of writing and it would almost be puzzle pieces and, and each one would get refined and I'd end up with different cards and then I would move them around and at just the right time they would click something would fit in the right place next to something else and I'd get a physical (laughs) sensation of just wonderful like ah that's that's how that works together and you know it's being part of trusting that process so that's fantastic information for me to take into the studio where I don't have that years and years of experience and background and to think I know you this is what you're thinking Michelle to think that I could have just discounted all of that knowledge exactly not only discounted that but like how good is it to know that you can produce really great work without sitting at an easel for eight hours in one session to finish a painting i think that the thing that drives me most bananas about learning from people and i'm just saying this as a generic idea is that Mm. it's it's very i find this challenging as well as a teacher it's very hard to say do it like this because 
it's it's just not true that we would all work the same way it's just not true that we could all stand at the easel for eight hours and produce one result like it's it, i think part of the journey not only is the creative assets but like you said before like it's about the process that we work and how to pull out the strengths in what we already do so that we can take the pressure off I am with you a thousand percent because that's kind of where I've come to in art and life. I think one of the major challenges is being aware of what comes naturally to us, what, what flows, what feels good. And then there's this massive challenge of actually accepting that and and leaning into that as a strength rather than trying to make ourselves into a cookie cutter idea of the i don't know the the hundred percent productive this is the way that artists should work and this is what it looks like which is completely crazy i mean think about it it's a creative it's a creative process how could it possibly all be a linear same situation for people And so if we can get to the acceptance phase, which is definitely what I've been going through over the past two years, where Mm -hmm. I was like, I just don't like working that fast. It's just, I don't enjoy pumping out work like that. So I prefer to spend some time with it. I like to look, I like to be curious and to be able to recognize that and say that's, that's okay. But I think the thing, the danger zone is that when we as artists if we don't think it looks like everyone else, we're like, we make ourselves feel bad. Oh, we might, maybe we're having a down. Maybe we can't do it anymore. Maybe we've lost a, we've lost our mojo. And we, just because I've had a few days off, like, do you know what I mean? We make up these yeah. stories about what it means when it's not true at all. Yeah. So I've had a sort of a low energy week and not getting too my studio and my artwork the way I would have liked and I let that anxiety or stress build up and feel really pressured that I needed to do I needed to get in and kind of make up I think that's that's one of the worst things we do thinking that we can make, make up, up for time. the time yeah somehow <laughs> let's put a little double pressure you've just tightened yeah. it a little bit more oh my now gosh. I can just make up for you know three days of not doing something by doing three days worth in one day. and so pressure how does that work for you like when you put that pressure on does it give you the result you want it's like uh, i don't even know the mechanical reason for this but i think of a seized engine you know yep, all yep, the yep. cogs get get exactly. tight and and you just can't do anything but i was pottering around doing a little bit on some work after that and i realized that this pressure i was putting on myself to somehow move this piece along three days worth along in in an hour <laughs> to make up for the time yeah I just needed to to press fast forward somehow yeah I've done that I ended up doing had some level of self-awareness and ended up doing the opposite which is that I slowed down even more isn't that weird that I said hang on actually rather than speeding up I need to go slower because the machinery has kind of tightened up a bit like it's like muscles that haven't been used and so I did I did just one thing like that writing process I did just one layer I did one move and then I 
just let it sit for a little while and yeah. you know looked at it in the corner of the room and thought about it a bit and and did something else and then came back and did yeah. that next layer you know what really gets to me about this and I think you alluded to that just then Michelle is what we make that mean about ourselves so I could certainly quite easily make that mean that I'm not a good artist because mm-hmm. I can't kind of pull myself together enough like maybe I'm not cut out for this if I can't get in there and get four pieces underway or six pieces underway and mm-hmm. have six artworks on the go and be more decisive and if what I need if my process is a slower process like what you're saying that must be because there's something wrong with me yeah because if I was a hundred percent correct and operational as if there's a hundred percent correct way like a machinery then I wouldn't need the extra time I wouldn't need to walk away I'd be able to somehow deal with whatever the anxiety or whatever it is which is so crazy we put that pressure on ourselves I mean it just it breaks my heart when I hear stories like this because I've heard other artists talk about this and the reality is it's the creative process is such a human experience. So how could you possibly not let the humanness of down time and yeah. up time affect your workflow, your ebbs and flows? And like being a machine like that takes the humanness out of the art. And I, I just, I believe that we're, because we're painting from our heart and our feeling, feelings come out, you know, that's really what we're putting into these pieces we have to be really kind to ourselves and gentle to ourselves, and sometimes it just doesn't look fast. I think if, um, like me, you doubt that sometimes and think, oh no, I can't be kind to myself because I'll never get it finished. I have to be disciplined yes. and I have to strong arm myself. I yes. just have to say, and, and how's that working for you? <laughs> How often has that given you a good outcome in the past? Exactly. Maybe you are an anxious person. Maybe you're not 100% perfect in every way. Maybe you have these things that make you the way you are and, and that need, means you need to go slow. Well, it is what it is kind of thing. And, and I, this is becoming a bit of a theme, but I have a quote, Michelle. Oh, do it. <laughs> love it. I love it. This lovely therapist slash author I know of called Robin Posen, who I have talked about before, this made a big difference to me when I read it probably back during that transition period, you know, three or four years ago now. And this seems like an absolutely revolutionary idea to me. She wrote, I don't know whether or to what degree these odd and often inconsistent ways that I am and am not are born from what is healthy or what is wounded within me. I discover that the longer I live with myself, the clearer it becomes that this distinction is essentially meaningless. How I am with my inconsistencies and all is just how I am right now. And for all I know, it might be how I am forevermore. So I work daily and assiduously on assuring myself of my own permission to be just who I am and how I am right now and to cherish and value me just as I am warts imperfections inconsistencies and all sounds a little bit like acceptance whether it's from what is healthy or from what is wounded it doesn't matter 
It doesn't matter. However you are, however yeah. you create, however that works in a way that is in your flow and is natural to you is totally okay. <laughs> totally okay. And the beautiful thing is with acceptance, which is what that really speaks into, the work just starts flowing because mm-hmm. there isn't that resistance of making yourself feel bad about these you know, imperfections of these flawed things that we all have, you know, that we think are so wrong. And from the outside world looking in, half the time people are like, what are you talking about? They don't see what we see as imperfections anyway. So it's, it's completely ridiculous. So acceptance. Acceptance. Radical self-acceptance. Yes. Takes a little practice. Take a lifetime of practice, I think. Yes. Unless you're the Buddha. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Spoiler alert. But a worthy endeavor. But definitely a worthy endeavor. Love it. Thanks for joining our conversation today. We've been talking about creative assets. So we really want to hear what's one interest that you've never thought could be an asset to your art. Come over and tell us on Instagram at unearthingart. And as always, if you're looking for more about the show or anything we've mentioned, you'll find all of that at unearthingart.com. Don't forget to subscribe in your favorite podcast app and we'll catch you next time. Mm